stand with me. Hallelujah. You know, so much of the time, there's so much of an expectation that we place on this office, on the expectation that we as ministers have a tendency to place on you, the people. There's There's always an expectation that the world has that has placed on church and placed on us. There is an expectation that we place on each other. <clears throat> and I just want to do something different this morning. I, I, wanna, I want you to erase and do away with those expectations. Because this is such a vital part of what we do. And yet sometimes we take it for granted. And the temptation is there to just, not, not that we're doing it on purpose. And not that we approach the Word of God or the worship that we just experienced, not that we approach it on purpose with disrespect or dishonor, but there's a societal, societal, uh, what's the word, a societal expectation that we have and we just treat it sometimes with a lack of honor and respect. And I don't want to start this year like that. I I don't want to do that. And so what I want to do is I want you to close your eyes and I want you to just, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we forget that we have such a tremendous gift and ability to come boldly to the throne of grace. Think about that for just a moment while you're, I want you to meditate on this for a moment. We can come boldly. We have access. We have access to the throne of grace. We can come boldly, not not with a spirit of timidity, not with a uh, a, uh, self-righteous indignation. This is a gift that God has given us. We can come boldly and stand before the Lord. Hebrews, that's the word. I want to read it to you while while you're meditating just for a moment before we go to the Lord in prayer. And he says this, For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. There's no creature that is hidden from it. No creature. We have the ability, verse 16, Therefore, because of all that, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Lord, Father God, Daddy, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Our Father, our Daddy, which art in heaven, Father, we worship and exalt your name this morning. Hallowed be your name, that name that is above every name. That there is no other God before you. You are the creator. You are the judge. But you are our father, first and foremost. Our daddy. Father, we take a moment to just exalt you and say thank you. 
And we worship you and your name. And we declare that your kingdom come. Father, we, we want to be about your kingdom business. Not about our agendas. Not about our expectations. Not about the expectations that religion and maybe our parents or pastors and preachers and teachers and churches before us and have put on us. Father, we want to be about your business. Thy kingdom come. Your will, not my will, not our will, but your will be done on this planet, on this place, in this place, as your will is being done in, in, in heaven. We call forth the will and the plans and the purposes of God for kingdom expansion in this place and on this planet this morning. Father, we thank you. <laughs> we thank you that you have made provision available for us. You have made bread for us. You said that you will supply all of our needs. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are giving us this day and this year and this week and this month. You are giving us that daily bread that we have need of. And Father, we thank you that we freely forgive out of a conscious decision that we make. We freely make a choice to forgive those who have trespassed, who have hurt us, who have abused us, who have violated us because of your forgiveness that you shed for us. Even when we were in the midst of sin, you still forgave us. And Father, we thank you that by the power of the Holy Spirit and this holy written word right here, that we will not be led into temptation. We are not led by our flesh. We are not led by what we see. We are not led by what we feel. But we are led by the Spirit of God and the unction of God revealing your plan and your purposes to us. And I thank you that you're a good daddy and you don't lead us into things that harm us. And I thank you that you have not only have you shut up the mouth of the enemy, that you have taken away his authority and his power, but you have delivered us and you will continue to deliver us from every evil thing. We declare that yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Believe that this morning? Well, why don't you take your Bibles and say this with me? This is my Bible. Hallelujah. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. And I will do what it says I can do. I believe. I will receive every crumb, every slice of that bread I just prayed. I will receive every bit of it today. I expect to receive all that you have for me this morning.
I believe. Say that out of your mouth. I believe. I will receive. I'm going to receive. I ain't leaving here, bless God, till I get it. Preach through my pastor. Thank you, Lord. I am a child of the Most High King. I am blessed. I will experience the favor of the Lord this year. In spite of me, in spite of my circumstances, in spite of my choices, I will receive favor this year. Man, there's unction on that. I believe for favor in my job, in my family, in my body, in my finances. I believe for favor. I am not only healed, but I walk in divine health. No sickness, no disease, no germ, no bacteria that comes in contact with my body can live. And it must die because of the life and nature of God within me. Come on now, some of you have been experiencing some sickness. I am healed. I walk in divine health. That life in me causes those things to die my body functions my mind functions every system every organ every tissue in my body works to the perfection which God created it and I defy all logic that comes against the word of God well some say well you know pastor we get old the Bible says that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So that means we as believers should, should be healthier, should be faster, should be stronger. We should, I don't even know how to describe it, just walk around and just, we just, it's like a big beam, like a big flashlight. We just shine forth the goodness and the good lookingness that God has placed in our life because of the life that lives within us. So you command your body to line up. You command, your, you command your mind to line up. You begin to declare that whatever is, is, is seen in your natural world, whatever you see that you don't like, you begin to command it to line up with this word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe for some of you that's the difference. That's the difference that it's going to make in your life. You're not going to see it. Listen to me. You're not going to see it before you believe it. You're not going to see it in demonstration and in operation in your life until you grab a hold of it and you say, I'm not turning loose. I'm not leaving this earth until I see the manifestation of what has been promised to me in my life. It's not going to happen until you and I believe it. Jesus looked at Thomas and he said, Thomas, blessed are those who believe 
and have not seen. Thomas said, I won't believe it till I see it. And I can put my finger in his side. He said, Thomas, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Anybody can believe it when they see it. But it takes a, it takes a certain individual. It takes a divine spirit inside of us that God has given to each man the measure, a measure of faith, which means you could take that measure of faith and you can strengthen it and you can grow it. It takes a divine appointment. It takes a divine spirit of God within us to say, well, everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's hard to get unhooked from that, ain't it? I want you to turn to Lamentations. <laughs> Everybody said, where's that at? Page 719 in your hymnals. Yeah. <clears throat> Lamentations. And then I want you to turn to Isaiah. I was thinking about, Lord, what do you want to... And I've been working on this message for... A few months now, <clears throat> and I'm going to try to get it all out, but if I don't, that's what they make next Sunday for, right? <clears throat> this afternoon, yeah. If we don't get it all done, we'll just come back this afternoon. Does that sound good? Lamentations. Now, the prophet Isaiah is lamenting. What does that mean? That means he is crying out. He's uh, in a state of sorrow, in a state of uh, an emotional state, and he is crying out to the Lord for the city of Jerusalem, for the nation of Jerusalem. And in this passage, I'm going to read the New Living Translation. It's chapter 3. I'm going to read it in, in uh, the New King James, and then I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. Chapter 3, verse 22 says this, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, but His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The New Living Translation says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And so the, the, the uh, word that kept stirring up in me for this new year is a fresh start. How many of you remember when you were growing up, for those of you that aren't grown up yet, but those of you that have grown up, you'll remember when we were growing up. The game where you used to play and you used to have do-overs. You remember that? You used to do-over. I got a do-over. In golf, it's called a mulligan. You know what that is? When you stand up on that golf tee and you shank that thing, and it's, I mean, it's gone. It's in the woods. It's in the water. You can have a mulligan. In some, some games you can play, you have a mulligan. Well, the good thing about the Lord is you get a do-over every morning. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. I mean, you can look back at yesterday. I look back at yes year, yes, last year, and I say, man, there was some great things. It was wonderful things. But I look at last year, and I go, I'm glad that's over with. You know why? Because it's a brand new year. 
It's a brand new start. His mercies, there's something about his, he didn't even say his mercies are new every year, every month. He said his mercies are new every morning. His great, there's a great supply. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to have this expectation that his mercies and his grace, I got a fresh supply this morning, glory to God. I may have, I mean just jacked it up six ways from Sunday yesterday, but today's a new day, brother. That's good news. You know what good news is to the sinner? It doesn't matter what you've done. Today is a new day. That's good news. Well, you don't know what I've done. No, you don't understand what he's done. He just got, this was the Old Testament. We're not even on the New Covenant. This is the Old Testament. He said his mercies are new every morning. How many of you want a fresh start? You just want to do over. I want to do over this morning. I was reading a, a <clears throat> devotional, <clears throat> and it said this. It said, each morning gives us a fresh start, a new opportunity to take the tendency to edge God out and exchange it for a perspective of exalting God only. See, there's always the tendency. There's always the expectation. Well, you, there is no, you know, it's no use. You messed it up last year. What makes you think you're going to do it this year? There's always that temptation to exchange what God wants to give you and what God wants to do for the counterfeit. The enemy's always got a counterfeit. He's always had from the beginning of the foundation of the earth. He knows that when you eat that tree, you're going to be like him. You was already like him. You couldn't be no more like him unless you was him and you as close to him as you can get without being him. And the enemy still said, you'll be like him. He's always got, you, there is no use in you trying to do that this year, Langston, because last year you didn't hit it on the head. You missed it and messed it all up. That's what he wants you to believe. But guess what? His mercies and his grace are new every morning. And each morning gives us a chance to reflect and regroup. See, we get up in the morning and we go, man, I messed up yesterday. That was terrible. You know, last year I wanted to accomplish this, this, and this, and I just didn't do it. Every year, every morning gives us a chance to regroup and go, it is a brand new day. The newness of each day reflects God's ongoing work of grace. Grace that frees us from the past and offers a way forward. Grace offers God's presence and power at the point of your need. Where do you need a fresh start? You know, <clears throat> one of the things about mornings that is so beautiful is it doesn't matter what happened yesterday, the sun still comes up. It still comes up, and it is a new day every day. You can say what you want to. You can try to do what you want to. The world, the religion can try to do and take away that newness from us. But the truth of it is, the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning. You can take it to the bank. Put your investment, go all in, put all your chips on the fact that the sun will come up tomorrow because God has set it in order and it will come to pass. There are things in your life that I know by the Spirit of the Lord that He has placed in your heart and you have not seen them come to pass. But the Lord says to you, they are coming to pass this year, this day, because I have set it in the motion and no man can stop what I have declared out of my mouth and from my word. He can't do it. Even to the point of death. That's why he said, oh death, where is your victory? Where is the grave's sting? 
Because even death and its finality, or so we think, still cannot stop the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Even when you die, even if you don't know Jesus, even if for those who have not made Him Lord of their life and they go to that place of everlasting torment, they still are in a place where they live forever. Death can't even stop the word of the Lord coming to pass in our life. <clears throat> well, you know, maybe you're believing, maybe you've had a loved one that you've believed God to heal. Maybe you've been believing God for healing and it just hasn't happened yet for whatever reason. And you've seen your loved ones and they died as a result of this sickness and there are those that have come and said, we don't always understand and we don't know why God does. Even in that death, who's got the last word now? Even if you mess up and you, you, you totally obliterate, but you made Jesus the Lord of your life, even if you've messed it up, at the end of the day, where are you going to spend eternity? With God. The, so the enemy is always trying to get us to exchange the truth for a counterfeit. There's three things that came up in my spirit about this year, and I want you to... I want you to embrace them. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a message that I had heard 20 years ago, but it was three things that I believe, if you'll grab a hold of it and I'll grab a hold of it, it will change our perspective and it will change our results for this year. And it's no reserve, no return, and no regret. When we approach this year, there's something about uh, no reserve. There's something about having no hesitancy in your life. There's something about going all in. You know what I mean when I say all in? You know when you play uh, poker or Texas Hold'em? There's something about taking all your chips and pushing them in the middle of the table and say I'm all in. There's, some, there's no return on that. I mean there, th that's it. You, you got to have a hand of all hands if you go all in because you've got to be able to because if you lose you're out. There's something about going all in. And I was remembered the story about, um, you remember the story about burning the ship. You ever heard that expression, let's just burn the ships? In 1519, Hernan Cortez, with 600 Spaniards, 16 or so horses and 11 boats, landed on the plateau called Mexico, which is what we call it. And for 600 years, no one had ever been able to conquer Mexico. And Cortez had less men, less supplies, and less training than anybody else that had ever tried. And he stood up before the men because they knew there was gold. They knew there was great resources there. And he stood up before his men and he said this. He said he gave them the speech of all speeches. But the only thing they heard was he turned to them and he said, burn the ships. Which means the only way we're leaving this island is either we're going to die or we going to conquer it. That's, that's the only option we got. And they conquered the entire country of Mexico as a result of that. Why? Because there's something about going all in. And with God, it's even greater. We have the greatest availability of resources. We have the greatest. We, it is so one-sided. It is not even fair to the enemy and to religion. But yet we're hesitant to go all in. So Lord, now I'll do this if you do this. Lord, I'll go there if you, if, you, if you do this, if you work it out. If you can make sure that I've got a 401k and make sure that this and make sure that I know. 
There's something about going all in. There's something about setting the things of the path. There is no plan B with God. You're in or you're out. And God loves it when we're all in. I mean, you can go all in. You don't think for one second that those men that were setting fire to those ships was as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. They were scared out of their minds. But yet their captain had said burn the ships. And they burnt the ship, And it put them in a position where they had one choice and one choice only. We either got to conquer this or we going to die. When you go all in with God, when you have no reserve with God, it puts you and backs you up in a corner where you say, well, bless God, this is it. I, I ain't got nowhere to go but to believe God. See, one of the detrimental things about credit cards that the Lord told me, that the Lord showed me in April was that credit cards, they... Uh, they do away with your, with your faith in such a way where you don't have to believe God. Because if, if it gets too hot in the kitchen, you just pull out that American Express and I'll pay it later. But when you cut the cards up and set them on fire and burn them and close all the accounts like we did seven, eight years ago, guess what? <laughs> Lord... I mean, we got five dollars, and we got to feed all of. Something's got to get. Something's got to happen. You, it forces you to believe God. Well, in the same way, if you'll go all in with God, and you'll just say, "This is the year that I'm going to jump all in," and I'm not. I don't have a plan B. See, I don't have a plan B. I, I'm a. I'm a guy that likes plan B, and I like to have a plan. If this don't work out, we're going to do this, and then we'll do this. But for, but for me, as far as ministry, there, was, there is, you know, I don't know what else I would, I'm sure I could do a lot of things. I know I could do a lot of things. But there's something about, it's not that I could, it's that I don't want to. It's not in me. I, I, don't, I don't know of any other way than to just say, Lord, this is what I know you've called me to do. And so we just go all in. My, all of us are in this we in it to win it. We're not in it to lose it. We're in it to win it. But there's something about burning the ships. There's something about, you know what, we don't have plan B and plan C no more. You believe God's told you to do it, then you do it. And you step out there and you do it. And here's the thing about grace and mercy. If you miss it, because you've gone all in, I mean, it's almost like, you know, with God, He would much rather you run with all your might and leave a molded impression of you in the wall when you hit that wall. I mean, he would rather you do that than to be so nervous that you don't, you don't do anything. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, it's like life is, is this, it's like life is a part of this stage. And people that live with reserve, they, they, they live like this and they go, okay, the Lord wants me to go down there, but I've seen people fall and so we, we get to where we're like this, and we say, okay, Lord. But then we've seen people slip and fall, and so this is what we do. We end up going, <clears throat> I'm just going to stay right here, and I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to hold on, okay? Come here, Hannah. Come here real quick. And so you get your, so then you, 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 know, you, you get married, and you start having kids, and you say, come up here and sit down. And say, Listen, we're not going to do anything. We don't want to fall, and we don't want to fall into the, into the green carpet. We don't want to trip. And we don't want to mess up. We don't want to stub our toe. So we're just going to sit here. We're going to go to church. 
And we're going to maybe pay, you know, our tithe. Maybe, I don't know. We might give 2 or 3%. We're going to pray and we're going to bless our food. And then we're just going to, everybody, if she gets married, they all have to come sit on the stage with us because we don't want anything. We don't want to fall off the stage. And so we just sit here and we just wait. And then what we want to do is we want, when we, when we die, we want to get up and we want to go to heaven and we want to go, oh, I made it. Thank you, baby. That's no way to live. That's not exciting. There's no danger. There's no, there's no great, great victories come from great battles. And we have a tendency in our life to live our life like this. Uh, we, have, uh, we have retirement. We have some retirement that we, we're investing and we're believing God for it to grow. But you know, if you put that thing in a CD, you might get a percent and a half. You know what I'm saying? I mean, anything that we do in life, I took a risk when I got married. I don't know about y'all, but I took a risk. She took a greater risk when she got married to me. You know what I'm saying? We, took, we take a risk by getting married. But what, what would it look like? How many of you would get married if your husband came up to you or your wife-to-be your wife or husband-to-be came up to you and said, Now, I love you with all my heart. I do. I'm going to give my life to you. Uh, but I've got my lawyers drawing up some prenup papers that we need to go over and sign because in the event that it don't work out, I want to make sure that you're protected and I'm protected. We laugh because you'd be like, girl, child, you better run as fast as you can. That man don't love you. That woman don't love you. But we do it to God. We say, Lord, I'll do it. However, there's just some paperwork. Just I need you to sign to make sure and it doesn't make sense. No, I want you to live this year with no reserve. I mean, for once in your life, if you've never done it, or if you have, throw off the shackles, burn the ships, and say, this year I'm devoting myself to what God has called me to do, no matter what. Joshua chapter 6 and Hebrews 11 talks about the walls of Jericho. They came down because they burned the ships. They didn't do any other options. How did the walls of Jericho fall down? Just because they marched around them seven times. Because they were obedient. There was no plan B. They didn't say, all right, if this don't work, we'll roll in the tanks and we'll blow the walls down. Or we'll lace it with C4 and we'll just blow them walls down. From No, there was no other option. Listen, guys, your life and my life is greater fulfilled when we live life with no reserve. No reserve. There's something about that that's attractive. You know, there's uh, those, adrenaline, those adrenaline junkies. They jump out of planes and, I mean, do all kind of crazy stuff that they can do because they're addicted to that adrenaline. But they live life with no reserve. They live life with no sense, but they live life with no reserve. There's something about that aspect. The Bible says in Matthew, it says, The kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent taketh by force. People who take things by force don't live a life with reserve. They give it all. I mean every bit of it. Every drop of energy, every drop of mental capacity. They live their life with no reserve. You know people that live their life with one foot in and one foot out. No matter what. Whether it's the employee that you've been working next to that says, Look, at five, at four. 59, I'm clocking out because I ain't get at five o'clock. I'm clocking out because I ain't giving them no more minutes of my time that I need to. 
You know people like that. Maybe that was you. You know people that, there's something about people who live a life of reserve that just, it's not, you don't want to, it's, it's not attractive. People who live life so careful and so safe that they never experience any excitement or any joy in their life. Everything's planned out. That's not the kingdom. Listen to me. If you're a planner, you need to take your plans and plan on God totally doing away with your plans. There is a plan that God has, but His plan for us is to follow Him step by step, day by day. That's a life of no reserve. Well, Lord, I'll go to that church or I'll do this as long as... No, 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 no. Get rid of the as long as. No regret. No reserve and no... I'm sorry, no return. No reserve and no return. What do I mean when I say no return? I mean don't quit and go back to what you know. See... The tendency is when you live your life, you've done the no reserve and you're living your life, but then it comes because it always comes. It always happens. You step out and you begin to live your life aggressively for the kingdom of God. And what happens? All H-E double hockey sticks breaks loose. Because the, come on now, because the enemy knows that you're on to something and he's going to throw everything he can at you to try to get you to turn loose of what God wants for you. And so what do we have a tendency to do? Turn to uh, Mark chapter 10. I'm going to show you Mark chapter 10. No return. Everybody say no return. Mark chapter 10 talks about the rich young ruler. This man came to Jesus. And he says this. Verse 17, now as it was going out, now as he was going out on the road, one came running, <laughs> knelt before him, so he's a sign of honor and respect, and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your mother and your father. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now there's a couple of things I want you to notice from this. Number one, I want you to know that the question reveals that he asked the Lord reveals the belief system upon which he was basing his life. He believed that the reward for eternal life was acclimating himself and obeying certain commandments. And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is not a result of what we do. It's a result of what he's done. And he was in, a, in, a, in, in an endeavor to try to get this point over to the rich young ruler. He said, good teacher. See, they had rabbis 
And that was what they were called, rabbis. He said, good rabbi. And he said, why do you call me good? You're focused on the wrong thing. Good teacher, good rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, you're focused on the wrong thing. There ain't nobody good but God. And Jesus could say that he was good, but he was using it as a demonstration to get his mind off of the natural. You're focused on the natural. When, when you get to the place of the temptation to return, the temptation is you haven't done enough. Or the other side of that is you've done everything you need to do and so this expectation rises up in you because I've tithed, because I've gone to church, because I'm a good person. I deserve. Both sides produce the same thing. The second thing is he said that... Um, he said that the treasure in heaven, he said if you'll do this you'll get treasure in heaven. That was a common Jewish phrase because they believed what we did on earth would impact what we do in heaven. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful. The, the temptation is always to return to what you know. When you step out and you begin to believe God for whatever it is He's called you to do or whatever it is you're believing God for, there's always a temptation. The tempter, the deceiver, the liar... The accuser of the brethren will always come to you and he will say, you're not good enough. And you overcome that and you say, yes I am because of the blood of the Lamb. Then he'll say, but you haven't done enough. And you overcome that and you get through that. And he'll say, yes, but. And he's always trying to get us to return back to what we formerly knew. And Jesus said to the rich young ruler, he said, you lack one thing and one thing only. Go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor and he said, come follow me. He said the same thing to Peter and James. When they had just gotten done taking up a boatload of fish, you remember? They were impressed. They was like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. And he said, now, you see all these fish and how, how, how my father's provided for you? He said, if you'll come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. The same, way, the same way the rich young ruler came to him and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, you've done all these things. You're right, but you lack one thing. Sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. He was calling him to relationship. Religiousness, religion always focuses on what you've done or what you haven't done. But relationship, the true heart of Christianity, the true heart of the gospel, focuses on what he's done and how you're responding to what he's done. Did you see that? Religion says, you haven't done this, and you haven't done that, but you've done this, but you've done that. But Jesus, the Father, always focuses on what he's done and your response to what The judgment day that's coming, the judgment day that's coming will not be a judge on whether or not you paid your tithe. Will not, be a, uh, will not condemn you for eternity separated from God whether or not you held up the Ten Commandments. It will be and only be how you responded to His goodness. That's it. And the rich young ruler could not because his identity, because his source of supply, his whole personality was tied up into I did these things and that must be enough to inherit eternal life. And I want you to notice something. Jesus didn't chase him down. 
He presented the truth. And it said that the Lord loved him. But when he spoke the truth to him, it said the man was filled with great sorrow and he turned away and he walked away. And what did Jesus do? Jesus turned around and said, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And then the disciples, which most people who preach against prosperity don't ever preach this. His disciples said, the disciples were astonished. If you broke, you ain't astonished at that. Listen to me. If I said to you, listen, it's hard for rich people to enter in the kingdom of heaven. How many of you are going to be, what? The disciples looked and they were astonished. How was that possible? He said, but Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. See right there, pastor, you ain't supposed to be rich. You're supposed to be broke. Can't do nothing for nobody. But bless God, we're going to get into the kingdom of heaven because you know you got to be able to fit through that little hole. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who can be saved then? Rich people... Blessed people, people with resources, were astonished. The disciples were astonished at what he was saying. And he said this, he said, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How does a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven? Because the rich man's riches come from God, not his money. What was the rich young ruler's problem? His problem was his identity and his source of supply came from something other than what it was meant to come from. And as a result, he didn't. What did he do? He returned. He gave up. He was all in to some degree. He had given it all and he was, he was all in except for one thing. He had this stack of chips back here in the back that's like, look, I ain't. The Lord said, you've done it all, but them stack of chips behind your back. Go put all them in and come follow me. And he didn't do it. Jesus was calling him to relationship and discipleship. See, discipleship, which is what God told us to do, Jesus himself said, go and make disciples. We treat that like it was a suggestion. He said, if anyone follows after me, he must take up his cross. He must die. Take up his cross and follow me. And that cross that he was calling for was a life of no return. Don't return to what you know. Don't return to what you've done. Don't do that. You've gone all in. Don't go back. Listen to me, church. Don't go back. Last year's done. It's over. Like Cornell said, the best thing about the past, look behind you. It's gone. You can't go back. You can't have it the way it used to be. The best thing you can do is move forward and say, I'm not returning back to the way I used to do things. You know the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. This is the Apostle Paul. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forget your past. This is where, the, this is where I believe the grace message really comes into play. Because what happens is we've sit and we've known what we've done. And everybody in this room has made mistakes, right? Okay. 
If you hadn't, then we'll pray for you at the end of service and we'll get you born again because you're lying. Everybody in this room has missed it. Everybody has made mistakes. And what happens is things happen in our life and the religion comes in and gives us a counterfeit and says, but yes, but uh, you know, the Lord worked those things in your life to cause these things to happen. No, see, that's what, you, that's what we try to do. We try to rationalize it. It says that we know that in all things God works for the good. That no sin, no mistake, no choice is bigger and, over, and overcomes His grace and His mercy to the fact where you could be the, I mean, you could just have, you have an anointing to make bad decisions. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you just feel like that sometimes. You have an anointing to make wrong choices and bad decisions. And guess what? The good news is for you is His mercy and His grace covers that. He didn't cause it, but He covers it. We can't comprehend it, but we don't have to to embrace it and to enjoy the benefits of it. And last but not least, no regret. No regret. No reserve, no return, and no regret. You know, regret is the number one killer of momentum than anything else I can think of. We all have made mistakes. We've all done things we shouldn't, but regret will choke the life out of you because he wants you to live behind you, not in front of you. The enemy wants you to be stuck about all those choices you made that were bad choices. I mean, like I said, you may have had an anointing to make bad choices, but he wants you to live back there. And I'm telling you that of all the things I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to every one of you, Stop living in regret. Was, you can't fix it. There ain't no use in crying over spilled milk. Why? Because it's spilled. Why are you crying over it? Go get the shop back and suck it up. Because the enemy wants us to live a life of crippledness. Where we live a life where we regret everything we've done and it keeps us right here. Man, I've got all these regrets. We're just going to stay right here. We're going to be saved. We're not going to risk anything. This ain't no way to live. This ain't doing nothing for the kingdom of God. You know, Paul said, Paul said in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians, I think it was, he said, unless... I be exalted above measure. Many scholars, a bunch of preachers have preached that this was God's will to keep Paul humble. And he had just gotten done talking about how he didn't humble, how he didn't exalt himself. Do you know what the enemy wants? The enemy wants you to see your life right here. He doesn't want you to do nothing. He wants you to stay right here. Just bring my food to me, that way I don't trip in case, you know. I have a CPR machine right here, all the medical. It, this is how people want to live their life because they don't want to, they don't want to die. They don't, but that's no way to live. And so what the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to be crippled. And what happened to the Apostle Paul was because of the revelation he received, it caused him to get out of that place. And he began to see things from a different perspective. The enemy don't want you standing up. The enemy wants you seated right there. He don't want you to move. If he can't stop you from getting saved, he darn sure don't want you doing nothing. 
So he tells you, you don't need to open your mouth. Then people know that. Don't say that to them. That thing stirring up in you, that word. Then you don't even need to share that word. They, they know they're crazy. They don't need that. You know, maybe you feel an encouragement. Maybe you want to encourage somebody. And the enemy goes, you don't need to tell them. They know they encourage. They don't need that. The enemy's trying to get you to stay in that safe, seated position. Because if you get out from that place, you begin to see a whole new world. You begin to see things like you've never seen it before. And the enemy wants you bound up and tied up with regret and reserve, reservations. And he wants you to be thinking about the past. Because he knows if you can get loose from that, you will be some dynamic force for God going somewhere to happen. That's what he knows. And so he has no power except the power of deception. So he deceives us. 2 Corinthians 7, I want you to turn there, and we're drawing this to a close. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, let your word open our eyes this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul is talking to the Corinthians church about their repentance. They had promised and we're going to do some things and they didn't come through. And so he had been begun to speak to them in a very harsh, very stern tone in 1 Corinthians. And this is the follow-up letter. And he said, verse 5, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest but were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God who confronts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by this coming, by his coming, but also by the con consolation with which he was, confront, com was, uh, was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even more. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, not only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrow, sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss for us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Regret, the sorrow of the world, produces death. When you live a life of regret, it kills you. Because you're constantly focusing on what you didn't do or what you did wrong. And it cripples you. Men of faith, women of faith, hear me. Regret is the biggest killer in our life. Because you say, well, I mean, you're, I mean, my gosh. I, I, you're 75 years old. You ain't got no time left. I mean, statistically speaking. And I'm reminded of Caleb at the age of uh, 80 or 75. 85, the age of 85, he looked and he said, give me my mountain. Some of you 85-year-olds in here, some of you 75, some of you 70, 
Some of you 65. Anybody over the age of 60, listen to my words and listen to me good. Your life is not over. You can take your mountain. You can take it. It's the lie of the enemy. It's the lie of society that tells you you got to go to a home. No, listen to me. Your life is not over. And you know what's, what's, what's really good is that sometimes the people that have lived the longest, they know that. They're like, I know, Pastor, my life ain't over. But the 35, 45, 40, 50-year-olds, they're the ones that are in worse shape. You're the generation that's worse shape than any of us because you're sitting there and you're going, but my life's half over and I ain't even got my stuff straight. It's a new day. It is January the 3rd, 2016. I didn't even think, I mean, good Lord, 2016. Your life is not over. Your life ain't even begun. I turned 40 this year. Young, I know, right? And the world's going to tell you us, and the world's going to try to put this on us, and the world's going to, but you know what? I speak it every day. I've been speaking it every day since I started looking in the mirror going, good Lord. I'm just being real with you. I said, you're good looking. I ask her. She'll tell you. I walk around the house and go, your husband is a fine looking man. I ask my girls, they'll tell you, I'm good. Ain't daddy good looking? I'm not trying to puff myself up. I'm trying to build myself up on that most holy faith. Because you look at yourself in the mirror and you're your own worst critic. And I go, good Lord. It's like my dad, my, my, one of my dad's friends, he said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. But I look in that mirror and I go, you are a strong, healthy man. The life of God lives in you. He loves you so much that he counted the numbers of hair on your head. He loves you so much that he knows the number of your days. So each day is vital. Each day is important. Your life ain't over. Well, what about yesterday and last year and last week? That's right. Yesterday, last week, last year is last. Today is a new day. It's a new day. Some of you need to walk up in the mirror when you get home and go, man, you are a good-looking man. Some of you need, some of you women need to look in that and say, I am a beautiful handmaiden of the Lord. Men, don't say you're beautiful because don't say you're pretty. No, we're handsome and good-looking. They're beautiful and pretty. You need to go home and, and allow that thing to matter. You know, Maybe you've messed up today already. Maybe you feel bad because you was late to church. It's a new day. There ain't nobody checking it off. Nobody cares. The only person that cares about that stuff is the enemy, and he wants you to care. because Maybe you, maybe you ain't been to church in a while. I mean, you know. It doesn't matter. It's a new day. It's an, I was thinking of that. My, I woke up January the 1st. Now don't look at me with that carnal tone because I know what you're going to think. 
I woke up January 1st, and there was two things that were on my mind. There was, there was two things. Number one was the Lord's Prayer. There's something about the Lord's Prayer that He's teaching me, not that I recite it, but that He's expounding it, that this is the model, this is the way we should pray. So I try to fit my prayers inside this model of prayer. And the second thing was that Michael Buble song. It's a new day, it's a new dawn. You remember that song? Why? Don't, don't tell me the Lord can't speak to you through carnal songs, because He can. It's a new day. It's a new dawn. Well, I just don't believe that. You need, you're the one that needs to believe it. You need to say it. You need to, because it doesn't matter what you think or what you feel. It only matters what you believe. And if you believe what this word says, his word says, his mer- this is old covenant. His mercies are new. Let me, st- let, me, let me throw this hand grenade in the room and let it explode. And then you take it home with you. But even the Lord's prayer, listen to me, even the Lord's prayer, you need to tweak it. Because Jesus said, pray this way before he died. The sacrifice hadn't been done. Forgive us as we forgive others. That's not the new covenant. The new covenant is you forgive because. We don't pray, give us this day our daily bread. Because the apostle Paul said, he has given us freely all things that pertain to life and godliness. He said, my God, Philippians chapter 4, shall supply all your need. Shall supply. Like going to. All you and I need to do is line ourselves up. So I don't pray, Lord, help me. Lord, bless me. Lord, give me favor. I say, Lord, I thank you that I'm blessed. I thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that I got favor. Because it's already mine. I just have to appropriate it. I don't see favor in my life. Well, look here, Satan. It says right here in this prenup, I'm divorcing you and I get all my goodies back. There's something about that. There's something about what God has done. There's something about the new year that's a, it's a freshness. It's like we can start all over again. And we want to still look and drag that mess back from the past. Man, let it go. Pull your pocket knife out and cut that mess off. Let it go. Well, you don't know what I did. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold me back anymore. Just let it go. You want me to get them to come up here and sing it to you? I will. They'll sing it out. Let it go. The cold never bothered me anyway. Just leave it alone. No reserves. Live life. With no plan B. Don't have a prenup with God. No return. Don't allow the enemy to take you back to last year. Don't allow the enemy to say, listen, you, 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 got, to, you got to go back to what you know. And last, don't live with regret. Man, you know, that's the great thing about if you if, if we confess, listen, the Bible says to confess our sins one to another that we may be healed. You feel like you got to get something off your chest? Man, we up here. We'll be up here to get it off your chest. Nobody, their condemnation comes from the enemy, not God. Stand with me to your feet.
feel like I've said all I need to say. I want to read this to you, and, and then uh, I wrote some things down that I believe the Spirit of the Lord wa- wanted to say prophetically. So let me read this to you, Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Anybody can shoot out of the line and run full speed. But he said, let us run with endurance. There, this, is a, this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Don't leave here talking, running out. Don't leave this room. Run out there full blast and just totally lose your, your wind. You know what I'm saying? For all you who runners, you, just, you start off 100%. You're going to lose your wind. You're going to lose your endurance. Don't do that. This is a pace. This is an endurance that we must run. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He is, not you. He is. And all we got to do is keep ourselves in pace with the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying when you're running? You keep yourself in pace with the Holy Spirit. Don't get ahead of Him. Don't get behind Him. Don't get too far behind Him. Just keep yourself paced with the Holy Spirit. Just keep, don't sit down. Don't live up there. There ain't nothing up for you up there. Nothing. But there ain't nothing up there for you but that bleacher hiding. You know what I'm talking about? When you sit for a long time and your butt gets to tingling because you sat in the bleacher. That's all that's there. No, get out here and run. Get out here and follow the Holy Spirit. Some of you need to embrace everything that God has for you. And what we're doing this year is we're setting up strategically things that will equip and help you run your race. I got um, Prophet Norman Spencer. He, he came about four or five years ago. Today is six years today. January the 3rd, 2010 was when we first came. And Brother Norman was here two weeks after that. He's coming back on the 17th, the 16th and the 17th. And we were gonna, we're gonna do a growth, we're starting our growth track. And what Brother Norman's gonna do on that Saturday is he's gonna come and he's gonna help us identify the gifts in you and light you up. Anybody wanna be lit up? He's gonna light you up. And then he's gonna preach for us and minister with us on Sunday. And that'll be the first growth track, an inaugural growth track that we have. And that's designed to help you find out what's in you and what God has called you to do and then we're going to help you walk in that it's not a call for ministry we're not calling you to the fivefold ministry it's a gift it's a, it's, a, it's a mechanism that we're using a tool to help identify what's in you and to help get it out and last but not least adversity always comes before the birth of a miracle Herod sent out a decree to kill all the baby boys, all the firstborn under the age of two before the delivery of Moses. Pharaoh sent out the same decree to to kill Jesus. The angel told Daniel, 
I was sent 21 days ago, but I couldn't get to you in time because the prince of the power of the hell withheld me. But he couldn't withhold for all that time. There's something about, we were talking about this the other day with, my, with, the, with all my elders, and we had some elders over, we were talking, and we were talking about there's something about giving birth. It's time to push, y'all. It's time to push. No, 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 this ain't six and seven and eight. No, this is nine months pregnant. It's time to give birth. And there's a pushing that needs to take place. But adversity always comes before the birth of a miracle. Adversity always comes. Before we got married, it was the greatest adversity that I think sometimes I had ever experienced. After we got married and before we had this little one, it was the greatest adversity that we'd ever had. Because the enemy can't tell the future, but he can see the sign. He can see your belly getting big, so what's he going to do? He's going to come after you. Some of you are so pregnant with purpose. And the enemy has lied to you and told you, says the Spirit of the Lord, that that baby's dead because you ain't felt it kick. Do you know how many times they told us that this youngin' and this youngin' and that youngin' back there, there was no kicking, no movement whatsoever? Because they was asleep. I mean, if you was in your mama's belly, you sleep too. And we lay hands on it. And every time we lay hands on that baby, that belly, and I say, in the name of Jesus, kick for your mama so she'll know. And what happened? So put your hands on your belly. I say in the name of Jesus, Lord, Holy Spirit, I say kick so these mamas and daddies will know that that pregnant purpose is still in there. I pray that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, stir you up with that pregnancy. I pray that the Lord will stir that up in you right now in the name of Jesus. Some of you have some great purpose that you put to the side because you don't know. You ain't got no idea how to even make that happen. You don't have to make it happen. He's going to make it happen. All you got to do is push when he says push. you are pregnant <laughs> how many of you want to get pregnant you want to get pregnant then let's just we'll pray for you to get pregnant I mean you want to get pregnant in the natural anybody want to get pregnant in the natural anybody I'm looking at the newlyweds over here <laughs> anybody have a desire to have a baby that's married. <laughs> How many of you want to be pregnant with purpose? All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, everybody that's raised their hands that want to be pregnant with purpose, I pray that you deposit that in their belly right now in the name of Jesus. Purpose. Some of you have purpose. Some of you right now are called to the fivefold ministry. I've seen it. And the Lord speaks it and says, you're called. But just because you're called, that don't mean you step into it. You begin the process of walking in that. Some of you are called to start your own business. 
because God's called you to have the gift of giving. You can't give nothing you don't have, and He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you financially. Some of you are called to be some of you are called to be mamas. He's birthing that in you right now. Some of you are called to be fathers. He's birthing that in you right now. But I'm going to tell you the greatest thing that He's birthing in you right now. Every one of you, listen to me, every one of you are called to disciple. Every one of us. Every one of us are called to be in a relationship with someone and to pour our life into them. And I'm talking about your children first and your spouse first. But outside of that, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just close our eyes. Bow your heads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We give you time to move and to speak this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Cornell, would you come and dismiss us? Share a word, encourage us, prophesy, whatever, brother. Just dismiss us. Amen. Again, it's a new day. It's a new day. That the past is behind us, <laughs> individually and corporately, that it's, it's, it's past. <laughs> and Father, with ex expectation, we look forward to everything that you have for us. <laughs> that, that we're seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Everything that's yours is ours everything everything that, that he did not that he that who did not spare his only begotten son 
for us, how will he not with him give us every, every, every good thing? <laughs> Father, I thank you that the past is the past. I, I thank you. And I just encourage you all, just, just look, look at it and just put it behind you. Just put it behind you because it's, 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 it's in the past. That, that, that he declares to us that, that he won't remember our sin anymore, that he, he takes it and he, he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness so that, that for his own namesake, he won't remember it. So really, when we remember it, we're like, hey, God, remember this thing that you said that you're not going to remember? He's like, I'm not remembering that. And I thank you, Father, that you don't remember it. I thank you. Father, I just declare a blessing <laughs> over everyone here. Father, that, that, that we would grab hold of what you have declared, what you have spoken over us, that we would, that we would just step into agreement with it, God. That, that when the enemy tries to come and say, no, but remember, no, I'm not remembering that. I'm free. I'm healed. I'm delivered. I am the righteousness of Christ Jesus. <laughs> I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am the head. I'm not the tail. You know, it just goes back to that I am book that, that, that Brother Bill's been reading. Declare, let, let, let this year, if you want to have a New Year's resolution, let this be the year that you declare who God says you are. Amen. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise for you and you alone are worthy. <laughs> You're worthy. Only you, no one else, but you, you are worthy, God. And we thank you and we love you. Bless your people. They're blessed, <laughs> but I declare blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.